everybody, and welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. You're here today with Kara Williard, and you can check out everything else we are doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. All right, well, I'm here today with several of our ski reviewers, including the man in charge of it all, Jonathan Ellsworth, and we're here to talk about our latest winter buyer's guide. So joining me today is Luke Coppa, Dylan Wood, Drew Kelly, Kristen Sinnott, and myself, and as I mentioned, our leader, Jonathan. We sat down to discuss all that went into this year's buyer's guide, why it is truly the best buyer's guide in existence, we touch on some of our favorite gear, we provide a few hot takes, we look at some of the trends, and a whole bunch more. Head over to our website to learn more about getting your own copy of the guide, which, full disclosure, our print copies are limited edition, so do not sleep on this. And for those orders that are still coming in, don't worry, we are in the process of shipping those out now, so you will have the guide in your hands shortly. Today's episode of Gear 30 is brought to you by our blister-recommended shop, Hickory & Tweed. They're located in Armonk, New York, and they are the recommended shop for the tri-state area. This family-owned and operated ski shop has been a mainstay of the East Coast ski culture since 1961. They provide excellent customer service and have a huge focus on quality in-store experiences for everyone that comes through the door. Hickory and Tweed's lease program is the oldest in the country. They lease over 8,000 pairs of skis and boards every season. Yeah, 8,000 pairs every season. That's actually such a big number, it's hard to wrap my head around. They are the only shop in the area to lease race stock equipment. Their 13,000 square foot campus includes a full service tuning center, expert boot fitters, and a selection of brands and products that you are very unlikely to find elsewhere. Plus, they guarantee everything they sell. The vast majority of what's available at Hickory & Tweed is also available online. Amazingly, Blister members can get 10% off their first online order over at hickoryandtweed.com. And if you're in-store, Blister members receive 10% off one full-priced item and 15% off seasonal rentals which is pretty incredible. So even if you're not in the tri-state area, you still have access to this Blister member deal. Thanks, Hickory and Tweed, for that. Lastly, we are all getting quite excited for the upcoming 2023 Blister Summit located right here at Mount Crested Butte. And believe it or not, it is only a few short months away. We have more brands joining us all the time, but several of the brands that you hear us talk about in today's episode will be there, plus a whole bunch more. Brands such as Forefront, Flylo, Star, Majesty Skis, Lion Skis, Fisher. I mean, the list just continues to grow by the day, and we are super excited to see you there. Head over to our website to learn more about the 2023 Blister Summit. And with that, let's get right into my conversation with a bunch of our amazing ski reviewers and Jonathan Ellsworth to discuss our Winter Buyer's Guide. All right. Well, it is that time of year when we are on Gear 30 talking about our latest winter buyer's guide. What an all-star cast we've assembled here today. It's just me and a bunch of greatness that I'm looking at. Uh, Dylan Wood, Kara Willier, Drew Kelly, Kristen Sinnott, it's pronounced Sinnott, and Sexy Luke, Luke Kappa. It's 
such a privilege and joy to be here with all of you today. I am not grumpy at all. So so we'll just get that out of the way. And let's do it. Let's talk about this latest edition of the guide. Kristen, you were saying that we ought to maybe just offer a bit of a reminder. Maybe there are some newer listeners of Gear 30 who aren't quite sure what makes the Blister Winter Buyer's Guide different from some of the others. Why don't you kick that off in terms of setting up what makes this book different? So what makes our guide different than any other guide out there is that we are testing every day. Uh, Our reviewers are getting on the same skis different, like throughout the season, we're talking to each other about the products, the the helmets, the apparel, the skis, all the gear that we test. And we're compiling that information. We tested multiple seasons, depending on when that gear was, um, how long it's been out. And we compare it to other gear. And we compile it, we write it down, and we create the most honest um, gear reviews in the industry. Kara. Yeah. Thoughts. I should say, Kara, this year's cover model on our buyer's guide. (laughs) I'm still hoping you'll sign my copy of the guide at some point. Yeah. Embarrassingly, my mom already has a copy framed. So that's great. (laughs) That's amazing. Perfect. Yeah, that was exciting and a total surprise. So thanks, guys. As far as what I think makes the guide unique, I just think it's a really, uh, it's for everybody. Like whether you're in the industry and you're using it as a resource or you're a shop employee and you need a quick reference book, or you're just a total gear nerd and you want some good literature cover to cover. I know people who definitely read it in that fashion. And then there's just the person seeking out like which gear they're looking to invest in this year, in which case it's a really great resource just to kind of like quickly reference, see all the comparisons and kind of be able to get in the right direction as far as the gear you're interested in for the upcoming season. Yeah. And Kara, on that point, I mean, one of the things that I've always been really proud of is, to my knowledge, we're one of the only entities out there, certainly one of the only entities that isn't taking any advertising money from any of these gear manufacturers. So we don't do that. And that is a very common practice where it's like, hey, pay to be in the book and we'll say nice things about you or maybe throw an award or two your way. So our revenue model here is clean. We don't have conflicts of interest on this front. And that is something extremely rare globally when it comes to buyer's guides. Now, the other thing is... Anybody who's spent any amount of time on our Blister website, you'll find these product reviews, you'll find extremely long form reviews about all this stuff, and that can get pretty overwhelming for people. If someone's like, I'm just trying to figure out maybe like what my single ski should be for skiing inbounds like every single time I go skiing. And what I think is really cool and pretty unique about our buyer's guide is that The buyer's guide is where we work very hard to create these digestible summaries, digestible, quick reviews, while still not just being quick, but meaningful, substantive, right? So that's where somebody can start to go through, like, say, our ski boot section or our touring boot section, circle two or three boots that sound pretty interesting to them. And then, in most cases, go to our website to read long-form and even more detailed 
descriptions about what that boot does or doesn't do. And that, I think, is an extremely valuable combination, being able to go from the shorter versions in our buyer's guide to the very long form versions on our website. Very valuable, pretty unique offering. And you know, then again, I'm going to come back to it. We just don't have conflicts of interest. We like, I like to say, like, we don't care what you buy, right? We're not trying to sell stuff. We're not highlighting skis that we're carrying in a shop. Like, we don't care. All we're trying to do is make sure that you are purchasing the equipment that will be the best fit for you and give you the best time or the safest time out in the mountains. It's not connected to us trying to move product in any way or trying to appease, you know, a certain brand because we cut an ad deal with them. So I don't th- I think those things are really important and again, I, I hopefully our listeners are already pretty keyed in on this, but revenue streams are really important in terms of how they tend to steer content or awards and the rest. And um, that's something that we have done different from day one at Blister. And again, I mean, if people that are really trying to just simply produce the best consumer product information out there, well, consumers ought to think through how all of these revenue models and the rest kind of work to influence or not influence their product information. So those people make this possible. And then the good news is that in turn, when we're writing something in the guide, they know they're just getting our best take after all of these days and days and days and days of testing. So it seems to me to be the right model for how to do this. And that's why we haven't changed our MO on this in uh, 12 years. All right. Well, Luke, why don't you... Tell us a bit about what's new and or different this year in our guide. Um, so people who have read previous versions will be familiar with the format in terms of how we laid it out. Um, I mean, frankly, the biggest difference is probably that it, we saw the biggest increase in the number of products, um, particularly skis, uh, than we have in the past few years, which made things exciting at the at the end when we had to put together the ski index. Um, but we went from roughly 230 skis last year to over 270. Um, and just looking at any other guides, I feel quite confident that ours is the largest in terms of the number of products included. Um, we also had several new brands for us um, that we hadn't reviewed anything from, or at least not recently. Um, and that's always exciting to uh, offer some new new perspectives on some brands that we hadn't been able to talk about in the past. And then kind of on the back end of things, I, I feel like mostly thanks to the help of Kara, as well as everyone else who was helping near the tail end, uh, just a lot of little things that an average reader might not notice got a little bit better, particularly our specs we didn't mention earlier on but we include measured specs that we measured for the actual products we tested for the majority of the products in the guide um and basically just like clean those up a bit made them more consistent um just trying to um keep things as useful as possible 
Um, but overall, um, the general format and the sections we're using stayed fairly similar. I mean, one section that saw probably the biggest increase in size were, uh, well, essentially the two women's sections. Kara, did you have anything else you wanted to touch on in terms of what's new for this year in particular? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm super psyched about the women's sections this year. We included like over 20, I think 22 new skis between those two sections. And so that was just like a testament to how much more time we're spending on skis um, and really trying to grow the women's side of things, which I'm really proud of. And I also thought it was really cool that we were able to include like a lot of um, unisex inclusions, both in the women's side and in a lot of the men's categories as well. So these are skis that both our female and male reviewers are spending time on. And I think that's really helpful as far as like the content we're producing around those skis. We're able to get even broader perspective and really like make it more useful to more people. So those are two things that I was pretty excited about and that I think as we like continue to think about the women's section and as it grows, um, you know, if we're wanting to split it up differently, that's like another topic. But I think it's cool to see those sections expanding and to also know that quite a bit of skis in the guide had a lot of time spent on them from both our female and male reviewers. Drew, thoughts along those lines? Yeah, on the topic of our women's stuff growing and becoming more present in the guide, there is a lot of beautiful photography by Luke Kappa with a ton of images of our female reviewers. Absolutely ripping. Dylan, thoughts? Yeah, I think that brings up a good point that regardless of the skis that you're, you know, usually shopping for, whether you're someone who is usually on women's specific skis or men slash unisex skis, I think it's important. It's an important point that the entire guide is, is for you, right? Um, definitely be checking out if you're someone who's using a woman's skis. Yeah. Don't, don't feel restricted to the women's sections. Same thing goes if you're someone who's usually on unisex or men's skis, there totally could be a ski in the women's specific section that could be the best choice for you. That is a really good note um, to underscore. And we have talked about that a bit in the past and we actually mention it in the guide, but it definitely is a note worth repeating. So good one. Good one, Dylan. And we've got some exciting stuff coming to the website kind of on that topic that we'll be saying more about in the future. Yeah, stay tuned. Sexy Luke, dropping teasers. All right, well, let's talk about some gear trends. Um, This is something we like to do every year, just kind of take stock of what we're noticing and seeing if we're seeing real shifts uh, in terms of trends. So Luke, your turn. Um, on the boot side of things, um, I feel like in the past we've, there have been certain years where it seems like the whole industry is focused on one specific category. Um, whereas this season, it seems like we were, we were seeing development and new boots in pretty much every category. Um, so like the pretty lightweight category is still one of the most exciting to me. The Solomon S lab mountain summit was one of the most interesting products we saw there, as well as Technica getting into that category with their zero G peak. But at the same time, we were seeing multiple new boots added to kind of like what I've been calling like free ride touring, like 1500 grams or so for a 26.5, like downhill focused, but more uphill friendly than say what we classify as 50-50 or just straight up Alpine touring boots. 
And on that note, we also saw several new options there. Um, so, I mean, I, I, we've said this before, but it's a good time to be a skier of any type. Um, there's a lot of uh, not only just new products, but better ones than many years ago. And while we will always highlight uh, products that have been around for a while that are still very competitive, um, we have seen some some new products across the different boot categories that are uh, genuinely quite interesting and are going to be really good options for certain people. Dylan, what you got? Yeah, I think one of the bigger trends is sort of not much of a trend at all in the sense that, you know, in previous years, we're maybe seeing these bigger changes in terms of the actual characteristics of the products that we're getting on are, you know, changing pretty rapidly year to year. But it seems like more than ever, we're kind of seeing the pendulum sort of swing back into the middle. And it seems like things are sort of leveling out in, in many categories more than ever. Um, I think uh, ski weight is one of the bigger uh, examples of that. It seems like in the past, maybe, you know, three to five years, things have sort of been trending towards the lighter side. Whereas this year, I think we're kind of seeing things level out sort of in the middle of that class. Um Another trend that I think I've noticed is it seems like a lot of brands are sort of changing some of their skis to be a little bit more accessible and forgiving. And it makes sense given the whole, you know, the ski industry at large, there's most of the skiers that are getting on snow are only spending, you know, three to four days on snow. So it makes sense to be producing a lot of skis that are really intuitive, something you can hop on and have a good time on right away. Um, examples of this would be like the Fisher Ranger series. All of those got a little bit lighter, a little bit softer, a little bit easier to just hop on and have a good time without, you know, needing to be an advanced or expert skier. And even something like the Dina Star M Pro 105 or the Pro Rider, the we see that new M Pro 108 a little bit lighter, a little bit more accessible. So yeah, it seems like in just about every category, you know, things are getting a little bit a little bit more forgiving, I'd say, but there's still plenty of chargers out there for those who really like to go hard and ski fast. Luke was smirking while you were talking. Luke, what were you smirking about? Just to clarify, the M Pro 108 is still one of the heaviest and longest skis in the guide. But for people who aren't familiar with the original Pro Rider, it'll it'll make more sense. Like the bar was set extremely high, and so like it's not like it's all of a sudden an M free, like it's still a big, heavy, uh, ski that can be quite challenging to ski, particularly in tight technical stuff like we have at Mount Crested Butte. And I, I do think it is fair to say though, in defense of Dylan, this is a first, you're welcome for this moment, Dylan. I do actually think that we are seeing and will probably continue to see skis that do really hold up to very aggressive skiing making those things also improve on their kind of forgiveness you know so it's frankly one of the easiest things to do is make a very heavy ski that's very good at going very fast give it a tiny sweet spot that's then just utterly punishing if and when you do screw up. Like literally, that's got to be one of the easiest skis to make. And so I think what we're kind of seeing is refinement where we get a ski that lets you go hard, 
but isn't completely punishing. Um, do you guys agree with that or would you push back against that? I agree. I think that's a really good way of summarizing that. Yeah, I agree. And I guess if we really need someone to seek out that sweet spot, we'll put it to Drew Kelly and kind of see where that line lies as far as like how fast and aggressively can it be skied and yet, you know, maybe bring it back down and like, but is it going to be beyond just that? Like, is it more versatile than just that type of skier? What I've appreciated about a lot of the skis that Dylan is talking about too, is that when conditions change, you don't always want that ski that is just has a no speed limit, extremely punishing um, sort of characteristic to it. You want something that can be skied really hard still like those K2 Mindbender series or the line blade optics series. Um, so that when it hasn't snowed for a month or a month and a half or two months and the moguls are square, you can push that ski hard according to the conditions and have a good time and still ski your best without having to be on your A plus game every single day and uh, suffer the consequences if you're not. Yeah. I think the Mindbender 99 is a really good example of that is like, and correct me if I'm wrong, Drew, but it seemed like someone like Drew Kelly was really happy with how hard they were able to push that ski. But we were also really impressed and same with the women's version of that ski, just how you could be taking it pretty easy, going through some tight terrain and kind of just sliding around. I think that's a good example of this trend that we're talking about. Kara, what do you got in terms of trends? Um, Well, this one's actually a little hard for me because I used to be kind of a proponent of this direction and I'm actually in my own gear uh, trends and my gear journey, I am starting to shift away from this. And I think it's maybe true of the broader industry as well, but I think there's a lot less emphasis these days on the true like one boot quiver or one ski quiver. Um, I mean, at first that was kind of the direction you had to go. Like obviously we've evolved way past frame bindings. And, um, but when it comes to boots, I think the biggest thing is that there is just those lighter weight boots that are truly skiing so much better. And so I feel like a lot of people aren't really trying to like compromise on their boot when it comes to like actually making the decision that they're going to have a lightweight boot that walks really well, that also kind of provides what they need on the descent. And this is also true for me as someone who like really sees the one ski, one boot quiver as a good alternative to someone who doesn't have like a ton of money to invest, but yet at the same time feeling like there's really good options for people to get into lighter weight gear and that there's a ton of advantages to going the lighter direction if they are starting to spend more time in the backcountry. And so I think, you know, there is still something to be said for the one ski, one boot quiver, but at the same time, I feel like people are starting to shift away from that. The 50, 50 boot maybe isn't as exciting as it was a few years ago. And now there's like a bit more on the, like what Luke was just saying, as far as like the free ride touring category, where it's a little bit lighter than the 50, 50 boot was, um, maybe 1500 grams, or you're even going lighter and you're able to kind of really benefit from that when you're touring. Do you guys agree with this take of Kara's? Luke, no. Sexy Luke. I, I think the, like on one side of things, brands are making products that are more specific to more specific end uses, which is great. But at the same time, there's still like a lot of brands are still 
making products that are marketed as kind of those generalists. Um, like Solomon came out with that awesome lightweight mountain summit boot, but at the same time, they still have their shift series, which they like basically market as a do everything boot. Um, so it's, I, I, I think it's a, it's a nice mix. It's like, it depends on the brand and we, we are getting more specialized gear, like more diverse backcountry gear. Cause like as it grows in popularity, you've got very different types of skiers who are doing it. Some who are into skiing really fast down big lines, some who want to like throw tricks, uh, some who just want some exercise. And so it's nice to see that uh, more people have better options suited to their preferences, which is always good to see. Yeah, I see both sides of it. I think that the one ski slash one boot, one jacket, whatever you want to call it, quiver is never going to go away just because, you know, if you're out there and you have like six pairs of skis in your garage and three boots, you're, you're an outlier. Like you're not the, the big, biggest part of the ski industry. Um, I think it's still realistic for a lot of people out there to only own one ski, one pair of boots. And, um, but I do also agree that if you are looking for something really specialized now is a better time than ever to be a skier or snowboarder or snow sports consumer. Yeah. And I guess it just comes down to like more options and less compromises if you are looking for something specific, which I think is pretty cool. And as someone who has done a lot of the like one boot quiver and has kind of now moved past that and has more of the resort boot or more of the touring boot. Like it's cool to see those advantages play out as far as like how well this equipment is being made for these specific uses. And so I think, yeah. Question for the group in terms of marketing a few years ago, we were seeing ski boots coming out with walk modes and manufacturers were like, we're not actually interested in having you take these ski boots with walk modes into the backcountry at all. This is literally about making it easier to walk around the parking lot and, you know, making it more comfortable if you're sticking around in your ski boots for après ski. Where are we on that trend? The, the ski boot with a walk mode that's not actually intended for the backcountry. Do you think that's gaining prominence or maybe losing prominence? Kara? I think grip walk is a better alternative than a resort boot with a walk mode. And so like a few years ago, you saw a lot of Alpine soles with a like kind of dinky walk mode that maybe gave you a little bit of range of motion, but wasn't really intended for uphill purposes. But now it's like, I think you're better off probably just having a fixed cuff boot with grip walk walking around the resort. That's my take. Yeah. And I think the, the like 50, 50 category, which I guess those old boots that were just designed to walk from the parking lot, uh, to the lifts were kind of a part of it's now more like brands are explicitly talking about like giving you the option to skin in the back country or go uphill or whatever. Um, I think there's still very much keeping in mind that a lot of people aren't going to be doing that. Um, so I think the main point is that these kind of boots that are designed with some or all, uh, lift access skiing in mind, if they do have a walk mode, they're generally a lot more useful. Like the Technica coaches or the Lang XT three series compared to their predecessors, they're way better on the uphill and still ski quite well. 
Um, so I think, yeah, it's, it's a more functional compromise, I feel like, whereas, yeah, uh, uh, basically an Alpine boot with like 10 degrees range of motion when you want, it seemed like a, a poor compromise in hindsight. What do you got in terms of some of the trends you were seeing, Kristen? A couple trends. One is my feeling that skis and the range, the waist width of like 88 to 93, 94 have gotten better at all mountain conditions. And just like, I don't know if it's just me liking them more kind of going, I, for a long time, I was like a 110 skier, then moved down to a 100 millimeter waist. And now I'm really liking those narrower ones. So I don't know if that's a trend that the rest of you guys are seeing, but I've, I mean, those are some of my favorite skis are in that waist width. And those are the ones I'm grabbing on the daily, like the, when it hasn't snowed for a while, um, that's what I'm reaching for. And, you know, it doesn't, unfortunately, it doesn't snow every day. And I have even been caught out on a powder day in some of those narrower waisted skis. And it's been pretty fun, not super deep, but um, I think those ones are really, yeah, they're just getting better and better. Drew, thoughts on this? Yeah, I I agree with Kristen. I have quite a few specific unexpected memories of skiing this year on some skis of that width in terrain like the headwall at Crested Butte, which is kind of like rocky, off-piece, steep, techie terrain where being caught in that terrain was not my intent necessarily with those skis, but the experience was actually really enjoyable and surprisingly easy to pivot skis like that, which in the past they've had so much camber that it's been pretty hard to maneuver those skis through that type of terrain. But um, this year I had quite a few runs where I found myself really enjoying navigating that terrain in those narrower, what I would usually consider like kind of front side ish hard snow skis. And I already said at the top that I was feeling kind of grumpy today, but um, I sometimes have people send me links of conversations that are like taking place online or something. And just for the record, so Kristen grew up in New Hampshire. Drew grew up, I get this kind of Massachusetts, kind of New Hampshire. Gunstock is Drew's home mountain. Cannon is Kristen's home mountain. And we still get like, we still see these comments online from people who are like, these people are just West Coast skiers who only ski POW every day. And I mean, first of all, that is amazing and hilarious. Come ski with us in Crested Butte uh, on any <laughs> given Tuesday and then see if you feel the same way about that. Um, you know, but again, I think like to Drew's specific comment, he was talking about taking, say, a mid 80 millimeter wide to, you know, low 90 millimeter wide ski down terrain like Headwall at Crested Butte. I'm just going to say maybe your home mountain doesn't have terrain like headwall and that's fine. But if what you're doing is just staying on groomers all day, and if that's what we were doing all day, then we might not be so concerned and specific about what and truly all mountain ski can do, right? If you're just on groomers, then that's cool. We've got a big front side section of the guide and you might be best suited to just stick to that section. But when you start getting into consequential terrain like Headwall or other areas in Crested Butte or wherever you ski, think about some of the trickiest terrain and then ask if that's where you really want your dedicated carver. 
do you want to be on a dedicated carver in that terrain? Because if we're just skiing groomers, I really like dedicated carvers. And by the way, you don't carve a ski as well as Drew Kelly if you're listening to this. So there there are some very good carvers. So Drew grew up in the East Coast. So I'm sure some people listening to this are are good, but Drew is exceptional. No, I'd agree. I know a lot of amazing carvers, so I'll be on the lookout for you this year. But see, I can make my statement and then I'm only wrong with respect to like five people. And so I owe those five people apologies. But to the like other 12,000 people listening to this, I just stated facts. So apologies to the five people that are like, I don't know, I'm probably on Drew's level, but the, the other 11,995 of you settle down. I thought we only had a hundred listeners. That's the blister podcast. That's because Cody doesn't draw very big numbers. Luke. Uh, yeah. The one thing I just wanted to add is that while, um, I think technical off piece performance is kind of a surprise sometimes with narrower all mountain skis, no matter what category we're testing, I can't think of many runs on the mountain where you can get around purely off piste. And as far as what skis I personally like, I require any all mountain ski to be enjoyable for my preferences on groomers. Like I'm not content to just like get over with the groomer on the way back to the lift just so I can ski more steep off piece stuff. All right, Kristen, another gear trend from you. Is this going to get me more fired up or will this calm me down a little bit? What's your prediction? This will just warm me up a little bit, I think. Um, (laughs) It's uh, outerwear. I've just noticed in the past year or two, the insulated outerwear uh, pants and jackets from the like lightly insulated to medium insulation. um, It's just, it's gotten a lot better looking, um, a little bit more breathable and it's just not the bulky obvious that you're wearing insulated apparel. Um, I, I personally, I've been enjoying wearing and testing them a lot more lately. I don't know if you guys have noticed that trend as well. Um, or if that's just something I've been kind of focused on Luke. Yeah. I think, I think Kristen's been the one testing the most of it recently, but I, it, it makes a ton of sense. It's kind of the, in my mind is kind of the combination of a few trends we saw separately in uninsulated shells and in mid layers. Like we, a while, a few years ago, we saw kind of active insulation become a thing. It's like generally puffy insulation that is a lot more stretchy, breathable, and comfortable than the puffy insulations of old. Similar vein on uh, uninsulated shell materials. Like we've seen a huge effort across the industry to make quote hard shells a lot more supple and comfortable. Um, as well as an increased focus on offering air permeable options. And those two kind of combining together along with some uh, very nice patterning from certain companies. I think all of that is combined to, yeah, just make insulated uh, outerwear a lot nicer overall. I think like I think it's just gotten a lot better. All right. Well, that apparently is a pretty uncontroversial take about outerwear. So... Let's start talking about some individual pieces of equipment. Just things you all might want to highlight. Luke, what do you got? Uh, or some of the standout new uh, skis for me this past season was honestly the whole line blade optics series. Um, these aren't 
These aren't skis that I'm recommending to everyone. Um, as we make clear in the intro to our best of section, that section is products that we personally like a whole lot. They're not things that we're labeling as the best out there, best on the market, whatever. With that in mind, uh, the Blade Optic series uh, pairs really well with my personal preferences. And the cool thing I think about the series as a whole is that each ski is actually quite different while maintaining certain qualities across the board. Um, like the Blade Optic 92 is kind of like their price point model. It doesn't have any metal in it. It's pretty light, but I loved skiing it last spring, especially in like, like everything from firm morning groomers to late day slush. And then the 96 and the 104 are kind of the more, more stable and more versatile, but, um, they, they're still different. Like the 104 is considerably heavier. And so it does a lot better in like crud and chop and stuff. But the 96 it feels substantially quicker and nicely fills the gap between the 92 and the 104 in that regard. And then the 114 is like a significantly more substantial ski. It kind of surprised me when I first skied it at the Blister Summit. But it's like it's one of the most stable skis in our uh, more, quote, more playful powder ski section. But all of the skis across the board have a centered enough mount point soft enough tips and tails, deep enough rocker lines that they all cater to a very playful, even freestyle oriented skiing approach. That middle ground between pretty stable and pretty playful is the place I, I like to generally be when it comes to skis. And so that series as a whole was, uh, yeah, big standout for me. Dylan, what do you got? Yeah. First and foremost, totally agree with what Lucas said there. The line blade optic series was definitely one of my favorite series of skis this past year. And we just received the Blade Optic 114 over the summer. And if you're listening to this now, we just chose a winner for our Blade Optic 114 giveaway. So congratulations to whoever that is in the future. But we are going to mount that ski up and hopefully get it in some POW this next year. Really excited for that. Um, one of the skis I think that maybe surprised me the most was the forefront Hoji. Uh, we got a little bit of time on the updated Hoji in at Blister Summit 2021. And I had skied quite a bit on the Raven, which is in that same, you know, Hoji backcountry series. And we mounted the Hoji up with Alpine bindings. So I was curious if it was going to feel like a touring ski inbounds um, and how similar it was going to be to the Raven or if it felt totally at home in the resort. And I was just really impressed with how well that ski could make a variety of different turn shapes. And similar to the Raven, it is it's really predictable in a bunch of different snow conditions. Um, it's not a slalom ski, but like who gives a shit? Um, it does a lot of other things really well, particularly it's just super easy to, you know, pivot around and sort of tight manky trees that you can get into in the backcountry a lot as well as in the resort. Um, but if you're opening up and, you know, bigger, more open terrain, you can just make these, you know, beautiful, long, uh, drifted turns that, yeah, it was just a super fun ski and definitely feels like a, a great 50, 50 backcountry inbounds option just a super versatile choice true what you got i would like to dovetail off of dylan's comments about the hoji um i've seen 
people ski beautifully in the backcountry on that ski, but I've also seen skiers like Rob Dickinson, who I think of as skiing royalty, ski Ahoji in the resort and love that ski. And I don't think I've ever seen him ski better on any other ski. So I will oh, add that shit. to Ahoji. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> wow. This is like Titans talking about Titans right now. No, Rob's um, another level. Um, Rob's another level. Uh, by the way, Today, we are posting, this is, we're talking on Wednesday, October 12th. We have a crafted podcast going up with Rob Dickinson. And people who know me know that like, Rob is like my favorite human being of all time. Like I put him above Gandhi, you know, stuff like that. He's a way better skier than Gandhi, I'm sure. (laughs) So if you want to hear me kind of stumble around inarticulately trying not to just say things like you're my favorite human being of all time, like ahead of Gandhi, that kind of thing. You can go listen to our crafted conversation with Rob. Um, because another thing about Rob is he runs an outstanding painting company and we actually talk. I, the title of the episode is blue collar fine art. And I've just been thinking a lot about like, if people who know Rob and people like Tom Runcie and the rest, some of that precise painting crew go as hard as like anybody in the Gunnison Valley and are as passionate about skiing or mountain biking or whatever as anybody in the Gunnison Valley. But they're also doing this incredibly detailed painting and interior and exterior work. And I was like, I want to try to capture all of that. So that is over on our crafted podcast it's fantastic. It's absolutely a reminder that we just need to have Rob on way more of our podcasts. Um, but shout out to Rob and uh, that crafted podcast. Um, and you can go hear me. Yeah. Be inarticulate trying to interview one of my favorite people in the world. Well, dang, I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> Especially as an ex house painter who is not uh, a fine artist. All right. Well, apologies for that you know, interlude Hoji. Yeah. And I I mean, I remember when I first got on it and I think I'd literally done two runs and some of the forefront guys were like, so what do you think? What do you think? And I was like, okay, well, first of all, I don't like to weigh in on anything after two runs. But the thing I will say is that Hoji now very much feels like it is part of the family with the, the narrower Raven and the wider and bigger renegade not to say they all ski exactly the same they do not but it now feels like that family resemblance is there in a way that previously it did not feel to me like the the hoji really did um have that real family resemblance with the renegade or raven so kara where are we going next yeah just one ski i'll touch on and it may appear that we are quite Nordica heavy on our women's specific best of awards. And that's definitely with intention. Um, I think for many years we've had the Nordica Santa Ana series featured in best of, or at least for a couple. And that's because, you know, they are very predictable, stable, damp, responsive skis that we really have enjoyed across like all the widths that they come in. But I was really excited more than I thought I was going to be about kind of the counterpart ski um, that offers a lot more, I'd say, playfulness and maneuverability, which is the Unleashed 98. So I spent a bunch of time on that ski this season. And for someone who's not 
been very like keen or open to playful skis. The ski was everything I appreciated about the Santa Ana series as far as stability, but also just a lot more maneuverable and agile and carves like exceptionally well. So I think um, for anyone looking at the women's best of, especially in the Nordica category, there's some really nice balance there between the Unleashed and the Santa Ana series. Hmm. Kristen, what do you got? Okay, so mine is a ski that really surprised me this year. Um, And it's similar to what Kara was just saying about not necessarily gravitating towards skis that are playful. And the Moment Sierra, uh, I'd never been on a Moment until the Blister Summit last year and was super excited to try the Sierra, then got to the lift line and was like, oh boy, these are super center mounted. I have no idea what I'm going to do on these. Um, They just felt super short and struggled with them for a bit, moved them about two centimeters back the mount and absolutely loved them, how maneuverable they are. And I know I'm sure there's lots of playful skiers out there that would love them in the um, recommended mount, but they were a super fun ski. It completely surprised me at how much I enjoyed skiing them. What kind of terrain, what kind of conditions did you have them in? So I was um, skiing all mountain. I, I had them on some groomers, but I would take them right up to the steeps. I think one of the first times was uh, up Headwall at Crested Butte and then some other um, shoots at my local mountain. So it was all all mountain terrain, which was really fun. In the Moguls, they were the most maneuverable ski I've had. And they're 98 waist, so they're not um, what I generally grab when I want to go in the bumps. I prefer something a little narrower. But those, um, they pivoted so easy and they, I, I never considered myself a playful skier, but they made me kind of want to be more playful and feel like I was getting, going in that direction at least, even though I did have them mounted further back from the recommended line. I'm expecting backflips yeah. next year, Kristen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just get the camera ready because it will be totally accidental <laughs> and Jonathan will be very concerned for right. himself when I do it. Oh my God, she's <laughs> going to cut me in half again. <laughs> The back, the back covers calling your name. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> okay, we should wrap. But before we do, let's just end with a couple sort of points of clarification. We'll highlight a couple elements of the guide. One thing I want to underscore about our best of awards, Luke talked about this, but he did this in the Luke Kappa super subtle way. Luke is more subtle than me, it turns out. Subtle's yeah, one way to put yeah. it. <laughs> arguably nicer. <laughs> I like I prefer to think of it as just more subtle. Again, people, as it says in our descriptions, so we require actual reading comprehension by you. We really do. We do not do this at Blister where it's like this is the single best product for everyone out there regardless of your ability level of where you ski or ride or things like that. We just don't play that game cuz it's a stupid game. So what we say in our best of section is that these are some of the products that some of us at Blister think are worth highlighting. And then in the descriptions, we explain why. So we're very sorry that we have not dumbed things down into a formulation that is actually completely idiotic. Um, Apologies for that. So You can't just run to our best of section and then not bother to think about like, well, where do I ski and how do I ski or ride? You know, I'm just going to get that because apparently that's the best. It is not what we do. And we explain this in the beginning of that best of section every year. But 
We don't want there to be any confusion. So again, read. We encourage reading and subtlety and kindness, but mostly just please read. Is that good? Are we good? Was that clear enough? Should I scream more? More swearing? Do you think more swearing, Luke? I think we're good. (laughs) Then let's talk about the spectrums that we have in our buyer's guide. What do you want to say about that, Luke? Uh, Well, this is another major point of differentiation compared to just about any other guide out there. Um, For every uh, section, uh, at the end of it, we have a series of spectrums that directly compare all the products in that section in a few key metrics. So like, say you're looking at a powder ski section, like best to worst flotation and all the skis in that section are ordered according to whatever we are comparing. Um, it's, it's very useful. One thing I want to highlight is that as we note in the intro to the guide, don't get too hung up if two skis you're considering are like one's one or two slots above the other focus on if there's a, like one of the skis you're considering is at the very top and the others at the very bottom. Like there are kind of, I mean, you touched on like, we don't do these broad level awards that apply to everything. It's on a related note, like these spectrums, there's a lot of nuance that we are, uh, omit, we have to omit because of the format. Um, so use the spectrums. They're super useful. But don't get hung up on, don't get too hung up on small differences. And they're they're a really useful tool when combined with the blurbs in the buyer's guide and with our long form full reviews on our website and our deep dives and uh, correspondence with our reviewers if you're a Blister member. So it, it's all part of a, a system that we think ends up being extremely useful. Very well said. And the other thing I would say is like, so if you're coming at a given product, if you have identified a real priority, right? So you're like, I really want as much flotation as humanly possible because I'm looking for a powder ski. And if I get tip dive at any point, I'm going to be upset with this purchase. Well, then you can look at our spectrums and like where we talk about flotation. And if a ski is ranking at the bottom of its kind of inherent flotation, that might be a good time to be like, maybe this isn't the product for me. And then if you're a Blister member, because you really like that graphic, and so you're like, I don't care, I still want that thing because that graphic is sick, send us an email and just we can talk about where are you going to be using the product and the rest. And maybe we can either still say, actually, given what you've said, that ski might still make sense, or we will kind of talk you off the ledge and save you something like $800 to $1,500. Okay, that's our spectrum. Very well done, Luke. Should you say something about the quivers section of the guide? Yeah, so every year we uh, have a ski quiver selections uh, section in the guide. And this is essentially a mix of skis that we think like in the one ski quiver category, skis that we think could be really good one ski quivers. Uh, And then we do multiple two ski quiver suggestions for uh, like lower snow areas versus higher snow areas, as well as uh, a series of skis that we think make for good one ski quivers for 50-50 use, so in the backcountry and the resort. Um, And for the two ski quivers, we offer like say you're 
looking at the Vocal Mantra M6 as your narrower ski. We provide a few skis that we think, for people who like the Mantra, alternative skis that we think might pair well with it. It's by no means exhaustive. Uh, thing is with the print guide, it's really expensive to have a lot of pages. We already have a lot of pages. Um, yeah. yeah, so, uh, but those are some of the skis that we think stand out in those regards as particularly good options and or good pairings. Um, and then uh, later this fall, as usual, we'll, we'll be doing our reviewers' personal quiver selections. Um, so keep an eye out for that. That's more just kind of like fun for us, um, see what people would pick. Uh, but yeah, the quiver quiver section could be particularly useful if you are um, looking to build out your quiver and aren't quite sure where to go from where you are right now. Well said. Well, team, uh, once again, thank you for all of the work uh, on that guide. It's been great having the guide out because we've all just been on vacation, you know, for like the last six weeks, not really doing anything. That's felt amazing. And uh, I've really enjoyed, I just wake up, you know, have a few pina coladas, watch some Oprah reruns. And I, I've, I know you guys have all been kind of on a similar program. So that's been phenomenal. Okay, no, I just wanted to play that fantasy out a little bit in my head. That is such uh, a weird fantasy, but... <laughs> just Oprah rerun, Pina yeah, Coladas and Oprah reruns, <laughs> just zoning out. I can get behind Pina no, Coladas. I don't know. Are there even Oprah reruns? Is that like... A, I'd never really watched Oprah. I just It occurred to me. Like, that would be me really zoning out and just kind of staring at the ceiling. Apparently, that's... I think you'd be less grumpy. I might. I might. Um... I'm working on a vacation, actually. I don't. Th I haven't told you guys that yet, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm working. I've got something in the works, uh, so I'm gonna come back super cheerful from that. Kristen's, Kristen's like, please go now. Kristen's like, there's skepticism oh, in there's these skepticism? eyes. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, uh, no. I mean, basically, what we do actually those last couple weeks of the guide everything else kind of has to get put on hold or not everything, but as much as possible just to finish the project, the guide goes to print and then we're like scrambling to get back to all of the other things we're working on on blister. So I know you all have been going quite hard. You know, I guess the only good news is it is a lot of exciting stuff. You know, we just had Jeremy Jones here for a blister speaker series. Um, that was fantastic. I'm really really happy with how that went down and um the podcast uh of our blister speaker series talk with jeremy that will be going up monday on our blister podcast we'll i don't know how quickly we'll be able to get the video edit out from that but sometime next week and uh there's just been a lot of good stuff lots of good conversations the Blister Lab stuff that's happening is wild right now. And so uh, we'll have some updates along those lines. But um, man, it's uh, it's been really cool. And as we have grown the Blister team, we're just kind of doing more and more. And you guys have been doing such a good job at nailing, you know, certain staples of what we do around here. It's it's allowed us to create more and do more and um it's going to be a really exciting 2023, I think, because of all the work that you guys are doing. So very much appreciate all that. And um, 
I'm still going to try to sneak a vacation in. It's going to be the longest vacation I will have ever taken in 12 years at Blister. And uh, it's not that long, but uh, three whole days. <laughs> it's going to be longer than three days. Unless you decide to cancel it like on day one. It's happened in the past. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, ha- that's happened in the past. Um, no, but because you all are so great, I'm going to, I can just bounce, you know, but like really don't even need me here anymore. So Pina Coladas, I'm going to figure out where I can watch some Oprah reruns. And then I'm just going to let you guys, you know, push things further than they've ever gone and better than they've ever gone. God, this is, this is great for me right now. I'm really, really like in this right now. Um, I should stop talking. You just nailed. I think you just nailed what we're celebrating. Oh, of 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 maybe vacation. Yeah, it's a celebration that whole, that for all whole of thing us. Was just like what we're celebrating, <laughs> but you didn't say what we're celebrating. Okay, that's that's our what we're celebrating. Kristen's gonna get a less grumpy Jonathan if I actually go. Um, it'll it will be. That's what Kristen's celebrating. Yeah, I've got my own. Kristen, what are you celebrating? Let's talk about that. I will be skiing yeah. in a week. I'm pretty excited about oh that. God. First yeah. time skiing on a glacier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you are heading to Austria, right? Gonna get on some snow. Excited about that. And before, and this is the longest I'll ever have been around away from my son. So I'd be celebrating. Go, I'm gonna that. have a little. Your no, Lyndon's so a sad. terror. Just kidding. He's like the best oh, kid of all time. Jesus. Oh my god, <laughs> he really is like maybe the best uh, kid of all time. But no, we're gonna do a little foliage uh, flat water float um, on some paddle boards and inflatable kayaks. Uh, coming up before I head out. So I'm excited for both, both of those things, mini adventures for me. So awesome. It's what I'm anybody else. What's what are other people celebrating? Dylan. I'm so I'm celebrating movie premiere season. Mm. I kind of forget how exciting movie premieres are until I actually go to one. And, um, we, four of us were just at the MSP premiere on Friday, which was a really good time. And yeah, awesome movie. It's just, uh, I forgot how, nice it is to just see people skiing like perfect snow and just doing crazy things and just like how inflated of an ego it gives yourself to be like oh i'm totally gonna do all those things this winter and then you know end up airing like a 10-foot cliff and think you're the best skier on the (laughs) mountain um that was maybe a little too specific (laughs) yeah yeah by the way yeah i was at the matchstick premiere as well and it was kind of i had kind of an amazing moment the last time I was skiing was in June in France. And I was actually with Logan Peota, but it was glacier skiing. Logan's segment in this movie was kind of mind-blowing to me. I mean, Logan has been doing it like few people do it. You know, it's not like this was some brand new thing, but I was just kind of reminded all over again like, my God, that dude goes hard in big, big terrain. And uh, yeah, so um, I was actually quite happy that uh, when I was skiing with him, things were a lot mellower because I would definitely just be dead. So, um, but shout out to Logan. That was super impressive skiing in that movie. Drew, what do you got? Just grateful for all of us? Exactly. <laughs> Thanks, Drew. What am I celebrating? Oh, fall foliage, uh, root vegetable soups. You know, I think I crave food wow. more than anything else in the fall. So 
I'm looking forward to some pumpkin stuff. I just ate, you know, an entire pumpkin loaf roll thing for breakfast because I'm on a health kick. And uh, yeah, maybe I'll sneak in some like homemade mac and cheese or something. But wow, we just I'm celebrating work. My goodness, that got weird. That was weirder than my whole Oprah rerun. It probably wasn't actually wasn't. as weird as that. We might need to start getting Drew on for his like food updates to like we kind of do with Luke often. Drew, uh, I'm with you on all the fall goodies and the comfort food. We just made some delicious pumpkin cookies, pumpkin maple. So maybe it's the East Coast in us that uh, is craving all the comfort food that is the season's I'm not change. not pumpkin spice, but pumpkin everything else, I sweat for. Now it's getting sexy time at the end of Kim. <laughs> okay, so Drew's turned on. Luke, what do you have? Uh, agreed on, especially the fall foliage. I didn't really get to get out and shoot photos at all last year during it. Um, I have been able to, and we had like probably like one of the most gorgeous days I've seen in Crested Butte. Uh, couple weeks ago when it was like starting to peak in terms of aspen colors but then we also had the first significant snowfall on all the high peaks and we had like the moody low hanging foggy clouds all day which we like never get so those are usually my favorite days of the year um but that aside and then kind of around the same time i just moved to a new place that is overall just really nice but the main highlight is that uh, my roommates have a, I think now 12 month old English setter puppy, um, that has just been awesome to have around. I've missed having a dog, uh, very much and getting to have one around, but not being responsible for it is, uh, pretty nice right now. <laughs> Kara, final word. Uh, I'm excited for next week. I'm finally going to the Northeast for the first time with Jonathan. We're going to Vermont. So this is pretty exciting for me. I'm definitely like a landlocked Southwest girl who has very little uh, been to the East side of this country. So this will be super cool. Yeah. We're going to go do some gravel riding in Vermont. And uh, also I'm going to be meeting up and uh, recording some more crafted conversations um so we got some cool things happening back out east so yeah that'll be good we usually say like what we're drinking or what we will be drinking it's uh it's basically noon on wednesday so uh you know our disciplined team none of us are uh, actually drinking anything i think other than water or coffee at the moment this is what we're gonna do i'm very excited about this but we got one of our favorite breweries brought up into Elevation's bar. So we can now go have new image basically anytime we want it. So we'll do this. Um, the next time that we're hanging out at headquarters, you know, in the afternoon or evening, we'll assemble the troops. We'll get together. We'll have some new image. We'll raise a glass. And uh, that's how we're going to celebrate this one. So... All right. Well, that then brings us, I think, to the end of this edition of Gear 30. Uh, for those of you who would like to pick up the guide, a couple things to keep in mind. The print edition of the guide is, in fact, limited. So as many have been produced as are getting produced. So hurry up and put your order in for the print edition of the guide if you would be interested. You can also become a Blister member 
And then you can email with the team of people that you've heard talking here if you would like to get some of their thoughts in terms of what might be some of the right equipment for you. The digital edition of the guide is also for sale on our website. Go to the navigation bar and you will find it there. And there's one other little surprise. As you might know, we have a network of blister recommended shops. And at those blister recommended shops, there are some print editions of the guide. Now, in some of those places, those guides might already be gone, but check out our list of blister recommended shops and you might be able to get your hands on a guide there. So, That's it. That's what we got. Monday over on our Blister podcast, it will be a Blister speaker series conversation with Jeremy Jones. And other than that, people, uh, have a great weekend. Drew's just going to be mowing down pumpkin spice rolls or things I've never heard of. And uh, I hope you have as much joy this weekend as apparently Drew will have while he's sweating, eating pumpkin things. Uh, That's all we got. Talk to you soon.